This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. This is the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax, along with Brad Enright. And our guest tonight is Fairfax High School head coach, Reggie Morris, Jr. Reggie, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you, Steve and Brad, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. And coach, you've had an interesting career. You've been the head coach at five different high schools and a full-time assistant coach at two colleges. At each stop, you've left the job far better than you found it. People tell me, they say there's no secret sauce, but you seem to have found it. Can you talk about the formula for success? Uh, I can't say that there's much of a formula. I, I've been blessed and I always say that God placed me around great mentors, starting with my dad, being able to see how he was able to, to uh, initiate programs and, and engineer programs. And then I went and played for a great high school coach, Ed Azam, uh, at Westchester High School. So. My dad was a coach at uh, Manual Arts High School in the 80s, won a state title in 1988 and two city titles in 77 and 81. Uh, coach Zam is, you know, he, he's as legendary as they come in the LA city section. So just from those two guys alone, I was probably able to steal <laughs> a lot of what they do, copy, trace, whatever you want to call it, and hopefully able to add a little bit more of my own personality on top of it. But uh, no, definitely those two guys, I have to give a ton of credit to and just being able to follow the, the mantras of playing hard, playing together and, and, and defending and defense being the, the first and primary uh, thing that all of our teams are going to do. Just following those things and really just trying to get guys to play together and, and play uh, for a purpose. Those are just the common uh, principles that I would say that, that have followed behind. I've got to go off script already and ask you this question. You talked about playing hard, playing together. Certainly every coach talks about play hard, play together. So what did mentors like your father and coaches Zam stress to make sure their teams actually were playing hard and playing together? Uh, I would think the, the main word that I would use and that I use with my own teams is accountability. It's easy to tell, you know, accountability and teach, you know, really teach. You, you can scream at kids all you want to about what you want them to do, but do you actually teach them how to do it? And then once you teach them how to do it, you then hold them accountable to doing it every time. So I was always taught that practice is like homework and the games are like open house. And when it's time to come out and play, you're, you're exhibiting open house. And, and we practice this over and over and over again. And if you, so if you aren't executing on all cylinders, then that means it's not anything that we hadn't practiced. So hold, hold kids accountable. Game, you know, playing in games is what all kids want to do. That's what you have to kind of hold over their heads is we, you have to do it the way that we're asking you to do it, or you gonna have to come take a seat next to me. So those are accountability and practice, accountability and games. Those are things that I learned tremendously from them. And speaking of your father, a really fun fact 
is that you are the only father-son tandem to win state championships. Your father at Manual Arts and you at Redondo Union. So can you talk about the dinner table conversations you had growing up with your father? Uh, surprisingly enough, well, I played for my father my senior high school at Locke High School. So, and I played for my father two years at uh, LA Southwest Community College. But surprisingly enough, it wasn't really much. We spoke about basketball and a lot of the things that he, his principles and stuff, but it wasn't really like beat over my head to be real major. It wasn't a lot of basketball in that way. I mean, I was fans of all of his teams. I can remember a lot of his old players and but our our uh, kitchen table conversations are, were probably mostly about uh, just being a good person and being family oriented and uh, which is real interesting to me because you see a lot of parents now and as soon as the kids get from out of the gym to head to the car out of practice you know you have parents trying to be the kid's second coach you know and I I would live with a coach and I, and I was coached by my dad and I didn't get half of that, you know, so I don't really relate to it. I think there's a time and place for it. I think my dad was more, um, he, he was more into the fact that he and I had a well-rounded relationship and that we were able to speak about all things, not just basketball, even though, you know, we had a mutual love for basketball, but I can remember talking to my dad about a numerous amount of things, not just basketball. A lot of coaches listen to our podcast. You mentioned the rise in parents being involved, parents trying to be that second coach. What advice do you have for young coaches coming up about dealing with those difficult situations? Find another uh, profession, probably. Uh, if, you, if you don't want to deal with parents, you're in the wrong profession. Uh, but if you're going to be in this profession, you know, I, I got great advice. I saw my dad, how he handled parents. Coach Zam has some pretty powerful words about that, too. It's, it's kind of like I'll talk about I'll, I'll talk about anything you want to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about playing time. I'm not going to talk about another uh, another person's child. Anything other than that, we you and I as parents, we can talk all day. But I'm not talking about playing time and I'm not talking about another person's kid. And that kind of eliminates some of the conversations uh, because a lot of times is, well, you let Jimmy do this, but you don't let Johnny do that. But Jimmy's parents aren't here to, to kind of speak up for him right now. So it's not fair, but I mean, those would, that would be some good advice. And the second piece of advice is coaching is, is a marathon. So the longer you're going to see great players, hopefully as you become a coach and you don't want to, you have to see your value and being a coach and not just being a fan. So a lot of young coaches have really luck up and get really good players early. Well, not even a lot, but some good coach, some coaches are able to find, you know, a lot of talented players as, as they start their careers and they have to navigate, wow, this kid is really good as opposed to this kid is really good, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm I guess, a part of this kid's development and I'm just as necessary in his development as anybody else. And what my points of view are, are definitely just as valuable as whomever else may come around. So don't sell yourself cheap. Make sure that you, you coach the kid. Kids want to be coached, which means sometimes you may have to 
to battle with the parent or something or, or whatever it may be, but your best interest. So your interest is the parent's interest is in the kid. Your interest is in your program. So you always need to remind parents that, that sometimes as, as it goes on, you're looking out for your kid's best interest and that's cool, but I'm looking out for the best interest in my program and, you know, hope we can agree to disagree. Very well said. And you brought up early in your program, early in your career, you may have the chance to coach a great player. You actually did. Your first coaching job was at Luzinger, and you had a transformational player in Russell Westbrook. Can you talk about what set Russell apart from the flood of other players at his position who at the time, they were all trying to play in a power five conference. They were all athletic. They were all 6'3". So what did he do at 6'3 and athletic that really separated him from the pack? So my very first team, I was blessed by God. To, Russell Westbrook played on the freshman team. I had a I had a kid named Darrell Wright that was a 12-year NBA player, a 14-year pro overseas. And he was probably in high school the best player that I've ever coached because he was 6'8 and could do a whole bunch of stuff. So I was blessed on my first team to have a pro player, and that was Darrell. So Russell Westbrook, as you see him today, was not Russell Westbrook as I coached in high school. Uh, Russell Westbrook, his senior year may have been 6'1 and a half, 6'2. He may have had six dunks his senior year, six or seven dunks. He wasn't like this genetic and athletic freak that we see today, but what he was and what has transcended for him is just his mentality. He, uh, he, he was going to battle. He was going to compete. He was an honor roll student. So he actually understood a lot of things that were going on on the court. And, and you know, he, Russell played so hard that he made the kids that played with him have to match his effort and his energy. I've only seen one other high school kid really do that in our area. I remember watching Drew Holiday do that uh, with his team. And you see Drew play with a bunch of guys. Uh, so Drew played with a bunch of guys like, who are these guys? But Russell was that way too. He played with a bunch of guys like, who are these guys? But we made it all the way. We were 25 and four Russell senior year. What was his recruitment like? I know obviously he ended up going to UCLA. He ended up going there signing late, if I remember correct. Did he not have a ton of people recruiting him or was it just kind of quiet? So as, as, as his career goes on, Legend tends to take its own course. I've heard thousands of different stories of how this is going. But going into Russell's senior year, Russell had about three or four scholarship offers, one being at LMU, where Coach Wax was. Um, LMU, he had local schools recruiting him. He wasn't like an unknown. He was like, but it wasn't like a short thing. It was people were still on the fence. So Russell went to uh, Adidas camp at the time. And that's a story in itself. That's kind of crazy. But he goes and he ends up like he wasn't really invited. Kind of we kind of got him in there. He kind of got a under the table invite, but took total advantage of his opportunity was on team with Mike Beasley and Wayne Ellington and walked away from that week with about the UCLA people Kerry Keating end up calling me and he stayed connected well within from there all the way through the season. But Russell had early offers from Kent State and Creighton. Uh, and those were places in 
LMU and University of San Diego. So he was a recruitable athlete. And then he played his senior year and he played really well. And then he had a 51 point game. And then from there, the flood, the floodgates opened and you had, by the time it was over, it was, uh, it was Miami, went on visits to Miami, Wake Forest. He was supposed to go on a visit to North Carolina State, but then Coach Sendak ended up going to Arizona State, so he took the visit there. And he always just wanted to really go to UCLA. So he hung it out, and they they got a, a, a itch that Jordan Farmar wouldn't come back, wasn't coming back, and they, they decided to take Russell. But Russell still committed while Jordan Farmar and Darren Collison were still on the roster. So he decided to take a chance on himself. Been a pretty interesting backcourt if they would have stayed. Well, it, somebody somebody would have had to be sacrificed at that point. So it worked out best for everybody, where everybody had a, a positive NBA career because you still had Aaron Afalo, you still had Joe Ship, you still had a lot of really good players at UCLA at that time. Switching gears for a moment, as we said, you've been the head coach at five different high schools. One of them was a private school, four public schools. And in those public schools, some are a little more affluent, some had probably more Title I money at the school. Can you talk about the difference in the schools where you've been a head coach? Yeah, I think the misnomer about all of the places that I've been, my goal, like as any, I started coaching varsity basketball when I was 22 years old. So just like the kids coming out, they want to be, all of them want to be Division I players. I always wanted to be a college coach. So I got to a point where I was always trying to, you know, do whatever I need to do to be a college coach. And I, and I worked my way up. And finally, you know, about 14 years in, somebody, Coach Mike Dunlap, decided to give me a chance, which, which was great. So, and then from there, I've been able to kind of hit and miss. But I mean, five, I think I've had a unique career and I can't really apologize for it. And I know people, where are you going to be at this year? And it didn't really happen that way. You know, I was at Losinger for eight years and I got laid off because of teacher cuts and leave it to me. I probably still be there, but you know, I really, uh, like I said, I've learned to embrace the fact that everybody has a different journey and this is mine. And so my experience is kind of different than everybody else's, which makes me unique. So just like you said, I've been at Luzinger, I've been at Redondo, been at St. Bernard's, I've been at Fairfax, been at Culver City. So I've been at places, you know, then able to go to those colleges. And I think just my story reads a little different than everybody else's and I'm embracing that. You know, I, I'd like to be more standard and be like coaches am and been at one place for 40 years, but it's not, that's not my story. And so I, I can write it a certain way, but I guess all in all, just kids are kids. And so I remember going to Redondo and just thinking, these kids don't really need me because I almost didn't take the job. And I had principal pull me to the side and say, kids are kids, no matter where they're from, no matter what their background is. And they all need guidance and they all need mentorship. And I have the same type of, the same relationships I have with Russell today and, and Donnell Beverly at Luzinger, I have with Ian Fox and Derek Bialy, who were on my state championship teams at Redondo. So that she 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 came across very prophetic with that. And you know, kids are kids, and and you're there to help them and, and to do what you can to look out for them. Sorry if that was a long drawn out answer. I apologize. 
No, we really appreciate it. And I want to stress what we said at the outset is, yes, you've been in a multiple school situations, but you've always left them better than you found them. You've taken them to each school to a championship or to a championship game. So you don't need to apologize for any decisions that you've made in your career. I hope so. But coming into the job at Fairfax, you took over a, an interesting situation. Four seniors who all were Division One players from the team the previous year were gone. They won a city championship the previous year under Steve Bake. How were you able to jump in and engineer a run to the city championship your first year? I think, I mean, it, it goes to tell you about the depth of the program, you know, from Coach Katani to Coach Bake. And then there were still players there. Um, you, you know, you lose Ethan Anderson, you lose Jamal Hartwell, you lose those type of guys and you're coming in and you're looking and wow, look what we still have. You know, we have Justin Gladney, we have Keith Dinwiddie, we have Justin Hunter. I mean, guys that could play, like really play. And uh, I, I, I just think it goes to show you the depth of the program and the legacy and the tradition that people still want to be part of that program. So people are in today's day and time where a lot of parents are ready to take their kid and run and jump ship. And, and, you know, I got to play varsity in the ninth grade. It, it says a lot about those kids and their parents uh, that, you know, they, they, they stuck it out because they believe in that program to say like, we'll, we'll wait our turn. So they waited their turn and they had to deal with me being a little crazy with them the first year and sweat that out. And uh, we were able to get all the way to the city final. You know, unfortunately, we weren't able to get the job done, but we made a pretty, we made a, a really well designed run and, and she, we had a good time doing it. So when Reggie you, is, and you, you know, you've worked at five high schools. So you've had, you've had five E1s and all those schools are very, very good, but none of them are, are Fairfax. Mm -hmm a different feeling or a different level of preparation that you have to take in year one going into Fairfax maybe that you didn't have at Bernard's or Redondo or Culver City just because of the, the name Fairfax and what that represents not only in your area but literally on a national level it's a it's a it's a, it's a high school brand in, in basketball across this country is there a different expectation that you set or any sort of different preparation just because of where you were coaching I would say on one in, oh, in one place, yes, you know, you want to make sure that you aren't the person that, that messes it up. So I definitely wanted to go into it and, and put my best foot forth and, and say, hey, you know, let, let's get after it. Let's do some things. Let's keep this going because, you know, it's not trying to build anything. It's, it's trying to not when I spoke to Coach Katani, when I took the job, I said, I just want to make sure that you remain proud of what you built. And, you know, like we, we, I'm not trying to do anything different. I'm just trying to add to, you know, if I can help and me and the kids, we can add to our program, to the program, you know, we appreciate it. But, you know, me and the guys that coach, you know, you know Coach Mira and Coach Hartwell, and then we had Mark Rogers with us last year. Um, those guys, you know, we put a ton of pressure on ourselves. We could be coaching anywhere. We could be coaching you know, a JV team, or we could be coaching an eighth grade team at a middle school. We just put a lot of pressure on ourselves and wanting to perform and do well. So I know it sounds kind of cliche, but even though Fairfax is such a brand name, you know, I was always taught that because I, like I said earlier, I wanted to always be a college coach that to treat my high school, you know, I wanted to be the head coach at UCLA. I wanted to be the head coach at USC. So 
what do I do? I take my high school team and they become my UCLA and my USC. And that's how I treat every place that I go. And speaking, and speaking of Coach Kitani, he spent 35 years as the head coach at Fairfax. What elements of the culture that he created can you still see imprinted at Fairfax? Oh, man, you can still see just the, the pride in the school that people know. Like, you know, some schools will say, you go to this school, oh, that's a football school. Or you go to this school, well, that's a this school. Or they got a great band. Well, the people at Fairfax expect to have a great basketball team. They don't have to, and they expect to come out. If they only come to see you play once, they want to see a great product on the floor. And uh, Coach Katani built that up in such a way that there's a pride in the program and the kids that are there even are instilled with pride before they even play. They, they, I go to Fairfax, so they, it means something to them. So just the amount of blood, sweat, and tears he put into his program, uh, you can definitely still see it. The, the, I guess the knowing that you have to have a work ethic to be part of the program, the knowing that you have to be a great student and a good student on campus to be part of the program. It wasn't a whole lot of trying to teach that type of culture there. It was just, like I said, just adding little pieces of how I do things so that I could be comfortable and try to instill those things. But I mean, a lot of the same things hard, like being successful doesn't have, doesn't look too much different, at different places. And so coach Katani falls, falls right in line with a lot of the mentors that I've had and the way that he ran his program. And it's still, he did it for so long, so well, it still exists today. And what are you able to do right now because of COVID? Ooh. COVID has put a lot of us back, particularly us that are in uh, public school settings. And then on top of that, LA Unified settings where we just, there's not a lot of leeway for, you know, meeting with your players. And, you know, I, I see them on Zoom uh, every other day because we have six periods. So I'll see them on Zoom. Um, we haven't been able to do, there's so many, the, the protocol to, to go ahead and go do conditioning is real steep. And it was just kind of like, let's wait it out to see exactly, you know, which ways we could do things. And kids, this is it's 2020, you know, kids are out there really doing things on their own. You know, you got kids that have three or four trainers and, you know, they have a, a weightlifting guy, a, a strength and conditioning guy, a mental guy, you know, so kids are getting stuff done. Unfortunately, I haven't had to, I haven't, me or the staff, we haven't had um, the same impression or the same imprint on the kids this year that we usually have, but, you know, just, you know, check in every once in a while, well, every other day and try to see who needs help school-wise and just who needs help with anything. So it's been real limited. So we're all kind of itching to get back in the gym or do something basketball related. Reggie, one thing I wanted to ask you too, being the San Diego part of the LA Court Report, I am, um, you know, we had DJ Dudley down here years ago as a freshman at San Ysidro High School, he left and went to Fairfax. How's he doing? DJ Dudley is has a promising future. He uh, he's as intellectual as any kid that I've ever had that I've ever had to coach. He's he's a deep kid, and uh, it, it goes into his 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 basketball playing. But he he's just a he's real complex, and he, he's a, a pleasure to coach. Like he. 
we have our conversations genuinely don't come with basketball. He, with all of the, you know, with Black Lives Matter and the election, he has a lot of views that are very uh, beyond his years. And so, you know, I like listening to his, his introspective on those things. And, uh, but as far as basketball goes, DJ's top 60 in the country. He is on a path to become a very great player. He, he puts the work in. He just has to, you know, really stay focused and continue to be a student of the game and the sky is the limit for him. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. I have one other question I wanted to ask you. You said you played for Ed Azam. So what's it like last year, you walk out on the floor to play Westchester, you look down the other end of the bench and there's your high school coach. What's that, what goes through your mind and what's it like? Because I mean, that's happened to a few people. I don't know how many, but that's a pretty, you have, you have a lot of uniqueness in your coaching career with your dad. And now this connection with Westchester and Ed Azam, what's that like to walk out on the floor and go up against him? Well, I've coached long enough now that that wasn't like the first time. We've played, after this year, we played three times. We probably played about six times total. Okay. So probably played about six times total. So that part wasn't the biggest part. Um, the biggest part was that I went to Westchester and I played up until my junior year at Westchester. And I, and I ended up coming back and I graduated from Westchester. So that the Westchester-Fairfax rivalry is, is number one in the city of Los Angeles as far as from 90s, well, 2000s to today. The last 20 years, that's the, the biggest rivalry. I, mm-hmm. I've been around the city section my whole life, so I, I remember when Crenshaw, Manuel, those were the top dogs. But as far as the last 20 years go, Fairfax and Westchester is it. So that's the weird part. That's the weird part for me. Uh, but, you know, as it was told to me, like Henry Bibby coached at USC. And, you know, he, he you have to look at things for what they are at the moment. And I, I always, you know, enjoy my time at Westchester. But, you know, right now I'm a Fairfax Lion and, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting used to it and I, I enjoy and appreciate the opportunity that I've been given. Thank you. And I want to ask you very respectfully about a, a difficult thing that you've gone through. You're a high school coach and you've actually coached two young men who sadly passed before their high school graduations in Kelsey Bars and Rise Williams. How are you able to take their legacy and share with the young men that you coach so that they understand how precious life is and how nothing is promised? I really appreciate you bringing that up. Those are two young men that are close to all of our hearts. I don't know, a lot of people, just if, if anybody has kind of been around me or the teams that I've coached, I, I'll say we all the time because I've had the same staff in place for like 15 years. And uh, as I've started to branch out and go different places, those guys have branched out and have become head coaches. So I've kind of found myself by myself, but I still feel like it's a we. So we all have gone through those deaths. Um, and to see young people pass away, uh, particularly and so different well they were both medical deaths but Kelsey passed away right in front of me I saw Kelsey take his last breath we were playing pickup basketball and he passed right in front of me and to see Rise 
uh, Rise, I was at LMU when Rise was a senior in high school because he had signed with LMU. He was going to come there the following year. Great young man uh, to just see him go from being super healthy to, you know, I don't feel that good to 10 days later be diagnosed with cancer and die the day he died within like an 11 day span of being uh, diagnosed with cancer. So it was like a real, it was a fast deterioration. I mean, and just to see that all of what the, the players and the coaches and what all of us had to endure just because those guys were really special with, to us. You know, Kelsey had a chance, you know, Kelsey was the big guy on the team as opposed to Russell. Him and Russell were the same, the same class and him and Russell were best friends as far, and they were also neighbors. They lived directly across the street from one another. So they had a really close relationship and just to see, you know, the kids just have to deal with that. And I was still a real young coach at that time. So I didn't, it's nothing that'll prepare you to see a young man die. Um, so try to keep, and as far, and I still keep in contact with Kelsey's family as, as I do with Rise's dad and his mom. Uh, we've tried to come, we've tried to do things Russell does a good job at keeping Kelsey's name alive. I make sure that I bring it up at least once a year with the players and I, I'll explain that to whatever group I'm coaching. And then um, I've tried to, we've tried to like last season that we had basketball, we, we had a Rise Williams fall showcase and we did it at Fairfax and at Culver City where the, the head coach is Roy Walker who played with, with me at, Ingl at uh, Luzinger. And he's coached with me for a long time. And now he's the head coach. And him and Kelsey were really good friends. He was on a team with Kelsey. So just try to include him in with all of those things as well. But um, that those those two situations are heartbreaking. And you never get over them. And you can always remember those kids. And you just try to let other let kids know that tomorrow's not promised, you know, just because we're here today. You no, you think it is, but there was kids that were sitting right here just like you that, that didn't make it to the next day. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I really don't think we should, uh, we should end there. We should add some positivity. So if you had to come up with a starting five of the players that you've coached in your career, who would be on that starting five? You're about to have me upset some people here. Let's stir it up a little bit here, Reggie. Come on, man. I've been blessed to coach a lot of good players. And the better players you have, the better coach that you are. So, you know, X's and O's are great. But if you don't have guys that can carry it out on the floor, it doesn't really matter. But, I mean, I would probably say you take – I had – a kid named Donnell Beverly, who's Russell Westbrook's best friend. He played at UConn for four years on national championship team. So he was our point guard, 6'4". So he'd probably be that. He'd probably play him. And then you probably have, of course, you have to have Russ. So Russell averaged 25 and 8 his senior year. Uh, then you have to put Darrell Wright, who – had a long pro career who averaged probably about 24 a game. Actually, Russell averaged 27. Darrell averaged 24, 24 and 12. His senior year, he played all positions, one through five. Then you would take Darrell's younger brother, DeLon, who's currently in the NBA, who plays for the, well, Detroit Pistons, just got traded last week. And then that fifth guy is where it gets interesting. So 
you would have to say you'd, you'd have to throw in a vote maybe for uh, Jerry Evans, who played for me at Losinger, played at Nevada, so he would be one. At Terrell Carter, who played at Fresno State, who's a big guy, would be those two. I mean, shoot, yeah, I, I know I'm leaving somebody out right now. Um, shoot, who else would it? Amir Garrett was really good. He's a he pitches for the Cincinnati Reds right now. He's a, he's a starting pitcher. He was really good. Uh, he played on my Losinger team. Uh, shoot, I left out Brandon Randolph who played for me at St. Bernard's. He was really good too. So I don't know if that gave you five. I know four, but that fifth one always gives me a hard time. But it, it'd be interesting to see who it would be. Yeah. Okay. So last question is basically going to be this. You mentioned that you really aspire oh, to my be. Bad. I've left out Keith Dinwiddie too. <laughs> And Keith Dinwiddie, City Player of the Year. He's a great player. So I guess the last question that we would have is this. You mentioned how much you wanted to be a college coach, and you were able to be a college coach. What are the lessons that you learned coaching specifically at the collegiate level that you're able to bring to the high school level that you think gives an advantage to the players you coach? Just giving them insight, being able to say that I recruited the level you wanted to go to. Like I know what not just one coach was looking for, but both coaches were looking for and really trying to pass that on to, to not only the players, but to the parents, you know, a lot of times people think it's about numbers and it doesn't really come across that way. Coaches are savvy and coaches are smart. They, they know just because you may play the four in high school doesn't mean that they'll play you at the four when you get, to the next level they know what they're doing they know how they can use you and coaches have egos also so just because you average 12 points a game in high school the college coach believes that once he shows you really how to play and once he's there to get you stronger bigger faster that your 12 points a game in high school on a really good team could blow up to about 16 or 17 points in college so it's not always about the numbers that you put up it's about the kind of basketball you play. It's about can you defend at the next level because that's where the that's where the disconnect comes in. And can you play with other good players? So do you know how to play a role? Like or what what are you doing? So everybody doesn't get to touch the ball. In high school, you may be the guy with the ball in your hands, but in college, you may not get those same opportunities. Do you know how to play without the ball? Do you know how to play within a role? So those are things just to be able to communicate that with players, you know, and tell them, you know, try to get them to buy into playing on a successful team because coaches will always recruit from great programs and they'll give those kids the benefit of the doubt as opposed to trying to go find a kid who plays somewhere that may not be as heralded and that averages a lot of numbers. Sometimes it's gonna come down to, I know that kid has been coached. I know that kid knows how to play and you know, he's going to be able to help us become a, a winning team, not just he's coming here to do his thing. And that would be a great place to say, we can't thank you enough for your time tonight. We appreciate everything you shared with us, and we wish you the absolute best. Thank you guys once again, Steve and Brad. I really enjoyed it, and hopefully you guys will have me back again sometime. Thank you, and you guys do an excellent job, and I, I really enjoyed listening to you.
Thank you for tuning in to the L.A. Court Report podcast, an L.A. Court Report production.